I mean, he's been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Putting in Work, episode 150 of 8 Bits Interview Podcast. We are powered by Audio Technica, and I'm your host, John O'Peck, here today with the milestone episode. 150 interviews. It's so cool to finally be here. The podcast has been a bit slower since I've started Comedy Rewind and gone to less than weekly episodes. It's almost been a couple months since the last one, but I wanted to have a good enough guest to be fitting of the milestone of 150, and I reached out to a lot of people. I got a lot of maybes. I got a lot of yes, but not yet, and eventually got onto today's guest who I was as excited as I could be to interview any of the people I reached out to so it worked out really well it's DJ Daniel aka Daniel Goodman he's a supervising producer over at iHeartMedia one of the biggest podcasting platform networks in the world but probably best known as a producer on Fake Doctors Real Friends the Scrubs Rewatch podcast hosted by Zach Braff and Donald Faison, two of the stars of Scrubs, if you weren't familiar with them. That podcast was a godsend last year during the pandemic. It came out like just as everything was starting to pop off, and having a couple episodes a week to look forward to of Zach and Donald recapping. Uh, one of my favorite sitcoms ever, Scrubs, was just so good and so needed with you know the humor that they bring to a situation, and being a show that's dealing with hospitals, getting people in from the medical community to talk about what they're going through seeing over time as well Joelle and Daniel who are two iHeart Radio producers working on that show becoming more integrated into the format becoming personalities in themselves has been really cool so it was great to talk to Daniel about that whole experience because it's been quite a phenomenon and they've been completely caught up in it they just did an episode of Family Feud the four of them along with Bill Lawrence the creator of Scrubs and Ted Lasso just to name a couple of his shows But on top of the whole Scrubs podcast, Daniel has this past life as a DJ making electronic music with his band Gladiator, which started touring in 2013. Pretty big deal. They were doing Coachella, you know, they were mixing it up with the likes of Skrillex and probably other really big names that I wouldn't know because I'm not part of that scene. But hearing Daniel's story here about his journey through learning music production and and learning how to DJ and becoming successful enough to tour the world was really fascinating, as well as that transition into iHeartMedia and now kind of his second life as part of the Fake Doctors Real Friends podcast. If you are coming here as a fan of the Scrubs podcast, you might be interested. Go back and check out my interview with Shay Serrano, who is a much-loved guest over on that show occasionally. But for now, here is DJ Daniel. Enjoy the show. Daniel, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Jono. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm stoked about this. I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, Fake Doctors, Real Friends, as probably oh. a lot of people that you meet are these days. I appreciate and, uh, that. You're, you're such an integral part of making that show tick. And uh, it's been cool to see, you know, as tends to be the case with some of these, these big podcasts, the producers becoming part of the entertainment as well. Totally. Well, you honor me and you honor the show. Thank you so much. <laughs> In the in the mold of um, Carl Pilkington and uh, so many so many bef- before you, you, you're now. I'll uh, take that. You know, part of part of the cast. <laughs> H- happy to be the Carl Pilkington to the uh, to the boys. <laughs> Very good, the OGs of podcasting. Amen. Truly, there's greats before you, and you you walk in uh, 
some some big shoes there. Oh, big shoes to fill. So, Daniel, yes. we've, we've got a bit to cover here because there's a lot that I don't know about you. There's sure. a lot that, you know, it's kind of like these little kind of tidbits that I've picked up over the past year that mm. uh, I've got to, I kind of think and I wonder what's the story behind that. So, um, Please. You've, had a, you've had a big life pre- Fake doctors, real friends, and we'll mm. go deep into that. But let's let's do the origin story and talk a bit about how you got into being a producer, and it started with being on the other side of the mic or the uh, the soundboard and being a performer. And even before that, I think I, I read that you studied some audio engineering. So did you always have this clear interest in audio and production in, in music? Uh, I th- I think so. You know, when I was a kid, I I, I love music. Music is, is is integral to my existence. I truly love music. I love discovering new music. I love listening to music all the time. Um, and I just love taking in audio. Uh, when I was a kid, my dad would always play music for me in the car. Um, and I remember when I got, I, I saved up my pennies and bought myself my first Apple laptop when I was sixteen. And that's about when GarageBand came out. And I remember fiddling around with GarageBand mm. as just a, a way to play with loops, make music, but also to record audio. And I actually recorded my first podcast with two of my best mates when we were 16 years old. Um, oh, wow. And that was, yeah, exactly. Very Trail early days. Places. No one will ever hear that podcast, but <laughs> it, was, uh, it, was, it was fun. And it was, it was, what it was, was it you know, about? literally just our lives we, we would talk about the, right. the movies we had just seen uh, the games that we had just started playing we did a whole half episode on madden 2007 and wow. uh it was also around the third time that i had ever smoked weed so you could tell the episode <laughs> was going off the rails so th- um, this was like right at the dawn of podcasting when it was like an itunes only ipod only kind of deal right yeah exactly i, I was definitely yeah. inspired you know another throwback to a podcast that doesn't exist anymore but uh, back in the Halo 3 days, there was a podcast called Podtacular, and okay. <laughs> I was a frequent listener and contributor to that podcast of like Weird Al-style songs about Halo, just because I was obsessed <laughs> with Halo so much, and so I was a big fan of that podcast, and uh, that really got me into the whole world of podcasting. Very cool. Okay. It's such a different time to, to reflect mm, on, but totally, I'm sure you didn't see podcasting as a career option at that point, did you? Not at all. No. no. I, I mean, it was it, to me, it was something fun. It was just media that I yeah. took in. I was much more concentrated on the music making side at that point in my life, at least. But even then, mm. you know, 16, 17, I really wanted to be an actor more than anything. Um, and making music was like a fun thing to do on the side. And podcasting was just like, it was really just for me and my friends. We maybe had six listeners ever. So it was just for us. Yeah, cool. And so when did the, the music uh, as a career option become a thing? I would say freshman, sophomore year of college, uh, when we started, you know, making music in a capacity that it was really original works. Uh, mm-hmm. What we started with in, in terms of like music making was a lot of mashups. Like Girl Talk was a huge inspiration for me, if you're familiar. Um, and just listening to these kind of collected mash, small mashup moments that made up a whole album of music or, you know, dancing of a mix, basically. Uh, mm-hmm. Hearing that was like, wow, this is really fun. And that, and 
composing those kinds of just A to B mashups, like putting Hollaback Girl over the song Stronger by Kanye West and Daft Punk. That was like, oh, I did it. I made a whole new song. And that was kind of the beginning of getting into making music and then playing those live and hearing people respond to them and just like having fun at what was not really a song that I made, but just a production of mine was, it was intoxicating. It was really fun. Mm. And, and so that was, um, that was what really got me into making music. And that time happened around freshman, sophomore year of college. Okay. So prior to that, had you been in bands, learning instruments and the rest of it as well? Yeah. In early high school, I was in the orchestra. I played percussion. I played drums. I played guitar. Um, and they all grabbed me because I loved music, but they didn't grab me in the sense where I was like, I got to be, you know, I'm going to be Jimi Hendrix, man. Or, you know, I'm going to be one of these, like, I'm going to be Keith Moon. Like, there was there was no, you know, as much as those drummers or people that I, you know, and or rather musicians in general or people that I recognize and love, they were not people that I was like, I want to do that. It was something that I just enjoyed. So the decision to study audio engineering, what was the, the thought process behind that? Was it just that you, you know, had enjoyed the podcasting uh, and then working with, with programs like garage band and, and that's like the adult version of it <laughs> yeah my studies in, in in music kind of were all throughout my career in college but i found out that i couldn't major in music without having a uh, a recital around an instrument like a, a classical instrument basically i wanted to have a dj recital but they were like you can't do that you, you have to have a recital with a classical instrument of some kind like it could be guitar it could even be like drums but like you can't dj for your recital and that was uh that was, I mean, I'm not going to say it ticked me off per se, because I, of course, get it. Um, but it was definitely uh, what held me back from studying music as my whole, whole interest. I was an English right. major in college. Okay. Um, and studying music was something I did more in like a minor sense. Right. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was something that I wanted to pursue because I knew I was good at it. Um, it was really fun to me. That was a big driver for me in school was, was taking classes that were fun. You know, school was, it, to me, always a drag. But anytime there was a class that I really, really enjoyed, which I found out really came down to the teacher, like one of my favorite classes ended up being my, my senior seminar on Shakespeare because our teacher was just so engaging and I wanted to work hard for them. But that's how I felt for pretty much all of my music teachers. Every music class that I took, like, you know, they were so engaging and it engaged me so much that I really, you know, I've worked my ass off in those classes. Yeah, cool. So at, at which point did you realize that the, the tunes that you were messing around with and, and performing for people could be a career option? Was it a gradual success or was it a concerted effort to you know, make yourself a musician right. for a career? Right. Um, I, would, I would like to say it was, it was certainly a concentrated effort. Like I knew, I sat my parents down and said, this is what I wanted to do when I was you know, rubbing two pennies together and working at a t-shirt shop near my parents house like you know i was barely making ends meet back then and was you know making music all the time that i had free um and it was definitely gradual from playing small shows and small clubs to la to slightly bigger clubs to actually making music that was getting recognized on soundcloud and getting a thousand followers on facebook and then getting twenty thousand followers on facebook and then getting an agent it was a it was a slow burn to like get from you know it, it, from 2010 to 2013 over that entire time was like a very like tick, 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 mm -hmm. tick, tick of interest as we kept releasing music and playing smaller shows to eventually, you know, getting, getting that representation and starting to play bigger shows. Yeah. Wow. Is there a big jump between making these songs in your 
dorm room or at home or mm-hmm. wherever to being able to perform them like like if you're yeah. say if someone's out there booking djs are they looking for something in particular from from people who have a you know mp3 to show them their work well uh, you know i think uh, I, I, fortunately or unfortunately these days it's a lot about the interaction that you get from the public like you know any anybody can enter the world of electronic music you have soundcloud you have spotify bandcamp like all of these ways to get your music out there however it's really about getting the right eyes on that music and whether it's talking to ARs for record labels like fool's gold or newer ones like sable valley like getting into those people's ears and showing them your music is how you start to get recognized but also having a social media following creating the kind of content that engages people, whether it be like silly videos or even short music videos for your music, creating those previews, creating hype, like that kind of stuff is what is what will engage people. And the ability to do that is accessible to anyone, but it does feel like it's a big game you're playing to just get the interest of the public, regardless of how good, quote unquote, your music is. Mm, Right. And even back, I guess you said it was like the early 2010s, was it that, that you were making this hustle? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, yeah. early two, yeah, early 2010, you know, 2010 through 2011, 2012, we were making music all the mm. time. We had so many, so many SoundCloud releases that were getting, you know, six, 7,000 plays up to like 30, 40,000 plays. And then, you know, we started to, there was a, basically different eras of electronic music that we kind of adapted to where each one, our musical production quality took a pretty significant leap. Where, you know, uh, I don't know how familiar you are with electronic music, but there was an era of a kind of like reggaeton inspired electronic music called Mubitone, um, a portmanteau of reggaeton and this one very popular song by an artist named Silvio Okomo named Mumba. And the combination of that music was like this very heavy, slower, electronic, just reggaeton sound that was incredible it was world music um you know reggaeton is an incredibly popular dance style all over the planet you have like you know your j balvins and your bad bunnies who are literally some of the biggest artists in the world that you know are huge reggaeton artists and bringing that to an electronic sphere was uh, a, a great entry point for us to make music and we loved the genre we loved the rhythm and that was really where we cut our teeth um another genre that is slightly more popular is what's called trap music and mm-hmm. you know you hear a lot of a, a lot of hip hop artists these days make what would you what people would call trap music and there was an electronic brand of trap music that came through people like Flostradamus or Bauer if you remember that Harlem Shake video the 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 whole trend of that like that was one of the more influential explosive trap songs that like blew up the genre and we were part of that you know quote unquote explosion and that was another time where our production took a level up that allowed us access to bigger shows, more people. Like, you know, I'm talking every single one of our songs was getting hundreds of thousands of plays on SoundCloud at that point. And it was like, oh, wow, people are really paying attention to our music. And that was a big deal to us. That's awesome. Uh, I'm learning a lot already. (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) Um, So these days, uh, it it looks like there's a lot of of, uh, artists who attempt to, to go viral with, their videos like there's some very creative um, tweets and short clips of, of tunes or th- sure. they might play into humor and then i also know there's a lot of musicians now that uh got started or got their break from being an early adopters of youtube and, and getting like you know hundreds of thousands of of hits and that kind of thing so was that and on your radar at all being i guess more tech savvy and uh part of that generation as as youtube was exploding 
Yeah, it it definitely was. You know, what I will say is that at the time, you know, at the time for us, that medium was SoundCloud. We felt like we were early adopters of SoundCloud, which now feels like, you know, almost just like one of the standards, if not on its way out even a little bit. But like SoundCloud was definitely, we were, you know, quote unquote, early users of SoundCloud and using that technology. Also, another, another one that feels old hat to even say at this point is Facebook. Like the Facebook used to have a plugin that would allow you, if you liked your SoundCloud page, sorry, if someone liked your Facebook page, we would allow you access to free downloads of our music, which is just not a plugin that they allow anymore. (laughs) So it was a kind of like a very cheeky way to get into people's feeds by giving them free access to our music. It was like a, a Patreon that didn't cost any money. It's like, yeah, you can support us just by liking our Facebook page and you get free downloads of all our music. Like, go for it. And like to download was just a small, small step that that got us basically from 20 to 30,000 fans to 100,000 fans on Facebook. And that was like, that That at the time was our main method of spreading the word. Mm, yeah. And yeah. you've been saying we, uh, and we haven't touched on that, but you sure. at, some, at some point came across a... a musical partner in this adventure yes Yes. i keep saying we without explaining who this person is my best friend my longtime friend ian john ian ian johnson it's fine if i say his full name (laughs) longtime friend ian johnson we went to high school together uh we met in ninth grade and ever since then we've just been like you know inseparable friends uh we both love music we come from different like musical and just like backgrounds of uh what kind of stuff we were raised on and he was he was the influence for me to get into certain genres of music we both got into reggaeton at the time but he was the one that was like, I think this hip hoppy, you know, trap stuff is really going to blow. And I was like, all right, well, let's try it out. And he was right. And he has a very keen sense of what is going to be popular. His fashion sense is unparalleled. Um, but he's just a great guy. And uh, yeah, he is my DJ partner. He's my best friend. He was the guy that I was very lucky to tour the world with. Yeah. And that was Gladiator? That was Gladiator. Yes, indeed. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So how exactly, like, was it the point that you mentioned through popularity on SoundCloud, hundreds of thousands of downloads and whatever, was that what got you into these big festivals like you're playing at um, Coachella and that kind of thing, right? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, one thing, there was, you know, early on in 2012, we actually won a contest for Electric Daisy Carnival, EDC for short, which is a big festival in, uh, in the United States takes place in Las Vegas and we won what was called the discovery project in 2012. And at the time there was probably like a hundred entrants and we were one of 12 that were chosen. So we felt very lucky, but it also felt like kind of a small pool of people who were really competing for this. And what we won was a opportunity to play at EDC 2012. And that was amazing. I mean, like we were, we were blowing our minds. I've been going to EDC since 2008, 2009 and saw it as like, you know, it was the pinnacle, like playing at EDC was like, that's the biggest thing you could friggin' do. And seeing people on those stages where they're playing in front of 50, 60,000 people, it was like, that's the, that's the fucking goal right there. Um, and uh, getting to play in 2012 was a really big opportunity for us. And, you know, at that time, I, you know, I, I, I feel like it's even like it's a non-humble thing to even say this, but I consider myself to be a pretty humble person when it comes to interacting with, you know, other DJs or other people who are helping the show. Like I, I say thank you to every single person who's working a stage. I'm like not trying to be a dickhead to any of these people. And I really think just not being an asshole 
to the people that were working the stage and the people that had us at the festival was like a big helper in getting us to play in 2014, 15, and 16. Like they didn't have us back the next year because we played a bunch of sideshows at the festival and they like kind of changed up how they were doing the booking that year. 2014, they had us back on a slightly bigger stage. 2015, they had us back on the second biggest stage at the festival. And I think that was really the peak of our like, that was the peak of our popularity. In 2016, we downgraded a stage, but you know what? That's okay. I was still honored to be there. Um, But yeah, you know, I think just trying to carry a positive attitude throughout the whole thing paid huge dividends for us and people wanting to have us back and play a show because, you know, we Mm. always slammed it out. And people like I'm sure friends of yours would look at things like this and think like, wow, he's playing these huge shows. He's I don't know if you'd say like a celebrity, a minor celebrity. What was the extremely minor? Yeah, but you'd you'd think like people doing these things would um, like I'm sure there were people that looked at you and thought like, this guy must be a millionaire by now. He's up there, he's, like he's hanging out yes. with Skrillex and whatever else. <laughs> sure, yes, that is definitely that is definitely the thought. That is, uh, and that's one of the funny things about the electronic music industry is that, like, you know, it's such a spectrum of how much people get paid to do this shit. Also, because there's so many parts of it that seem a little bit like uh, unknown to the public. For the for, like, for example, the fact that you pay for all your own flights. Like, there's mm-hmm. no standard for any per- particular artist to get paid. You could play the same show a year apart and get paid half as much if you're just not as popping on SoundCloud, Twitter, whatever. So, and, and when you're splitting that money with another person and then you have your agents, you know, business managers, all that stuff, like, you know, it, it does not, it, it turns out to be uh, at not as lucrative as it could be. So, is reaching that top tier. I'm just going to say Skrillex because me sure. as a as a, someone that's not like following perfectly acceptable that uh, yeah as me, me as someone who's not following that uh, scene I guess that's a yeah, name yeah. that I know mm. and I don't know anyone else really so totally fine um, <laughs> so the, to to get from I guess your position to someone like that is there like a some kind of break that has to happen or a certain accessibility that a musician requires to become a household name rather than just big within that scene. Sure. I mean, you know, I think accessibility is a good word. I think it's a kind of culmination of all the efforts we were discussing before being having all of these like avenues of getting yourself out there really conquered. I think these days people would see that as standard. Like if you're not on YouTube, Twitter, if you're not on Snapchat, if you're not on Instagram, if you're not on Facebook, if you're not on all of them at the same time, putting out content for each individual platform, then you're not doing all of the work that you could be doing. Um, but back then it was, it was like the, it was the inside look to also see these avenues as things that you could, you know, use to your advantage. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think if, you know, if I was talking to me, if I was talking to myself 10 years ago, I would say, you need to get on all this shit right now. Because if you want this shit to last, you need to be on this from the start. Like, I don't care if you don't like Snapchat. I don't care if it doesn't even (laughs) exist yet. You, when Snapchat comes out, you need to be on Snapchat going crazy. Um, because that's, you know, that's, that is what it takes. You want to reach as, you know, accessibility comes with accessing as many people as possible. And they're all across, pardon me, they're all across all these different social media kind of, you know, platforms. And so it, it's about reaching people and you reach people by, you know, having yourself and your content on all those platforms. So what was it like at at this point? You know, you're, you're touring, I'm assuming internationally Mm. as well at that point. Uh, that's to me, it sounds like you were living the dream, so to speak. So (laughs) Were you it certainly pretty, was. Yeah. And, and like, what was that like for someone that probably didn't aspire to a musical career until a certain point? 
I, you know, I, I think about it a lot. It was, it was a dream come true. It was a, it was a, it was a feeling and a time that I wish for everyone. I mean, I, I wish that everyone could have the experience that I did between 2010 and 2020 of being able to perform your own music, being able to fly to different parts of the world. I've been to almost every single state in the U S I've been to Australia three times. We've played in London, Paris. We played in Thailand. Like we played in so many places where I'm just like, I can't believe I get to be here. And the reason that we're here is that we're playing our own music like that to me. It's, it was truly a dream come true. And I'm extremely, extremely thankful and lucky to have experienced that in my time. Um, but also, I remember, you know, all of the hours that I spent in my bedroom just making music over and over and over, knocking my head against my desk, just trying to make tunes. And, you know, I'm thankful that that time was worth it that like the time that I put in to make music and get better at Ableton and like, and, and, you know, explore new genres and stuff like that, like that time was worth it. And it paid dividends in the way that we were able to play shows around the world. Hmm. And it sounds like you, you can't really understate the, the grind that's involved in touring oh, of course. as well. Cause I, I think especially these days when you can't really sell your music, like the way yeah. that people used to, right. it's such an important thing for, you know, the wallet, and the bank balance to actually get out there and perform, right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, touring is how people make almost all of their money when it comes to electronic music, especially, you know, thanks to, to a certain extent, thanks to Spotify and these other streaming websites, it's like, yeah, you have a revenue stream if your song is super popping, but super popping, we're talking tens of millions of plays. And to be getting tens of millions of plays on a song, it needs to be a viral hit. It needs to be attached to some TikTok that everybody is doing the dance for or something like that. Like it needs to have a, a bug that shoots it up because otherwise it's like the electronic community is small. Like I think about, you know, there was a stat, this is from Spotify from a few years ago, but like all of electronic music accounts for like 15 billion streams on Spotify. And then hip hop and R&B accounts for 90 billion streams. And it's like, oh, just yeah. thinking about, just thinking about how like electronic music is worldwide. Like there are people all over the world who love electronic music, but it is absolutely nothing compared to your Drake's, your Migos, your literally anybody, your Post Malone's. It's like, it's just, it just doesn't compare. It's just so much less popular. So it's like mm. the piece of the pie that you're getting from, it's like, if you are reaching 10% of the electronic music audience, you're really reaching like 1% of the music listening audience, which is not very much. So, it, you know, you really have to, you really got to pop off. Mm. Yeah. So, at what point was the decision to step away from that life, from the performing and sure. to settle in one place, I guess? Yeah. Well, you know, I've been in Los Angeles my whole life. I love it here. Um, and I'm very lucky to be here. I'm very lucky that my parents live here and that, you know, they, I always have a home base in Los Angeles. Um, so mm -hmm. I wasn't going to, I, you know, I moving somewhere else was never a consideration to me. Um, but finding finding a new life here outside of DJing, you know, as they say, those who can't do teach. And I went, I went into working at a couple different schools to teach people how to DJ, to teach people how to make music. And also in that time, I fell more back in love with podcasting just because of like the time that I had, you know, it, you know, even when I was on the road, there were still podcasts that I was listening to on plane rides or whatever. I still loved podcasting. But then uh, I found out that one of the offices or rather one of the networks, How Stuff Works, was opening an office in Los Angeles. And I saw an opportunity to get into the world of podcasting. And so I, uh, I jumped in around 2017. Okay. I have to backtrack a little because you say, sure, you know, sure. th those who can't do teach, but you yeah. were doing it like you, I was. <laughs> you were making a career out of this sure, and you were, sure. you know, getting to rub shoulders with some, some big performers. So 
what was the decision to uh like i said step away from performing and right. and consider that you know maybe you won't be a live performer for your entire career i mean i hate to put it as bluntly as this but when it stopped making as much money you know mm-hmm. unfortunately in the world of music in general it's like there are artists who are popping all the time there's new people coming out constantly olivia rodrigo is one of the most popular artists in the world when nobody had heard of her three years ago she wasn't she wasn't an artist three years ago four years ago and now she will sell out stadiums um and selling out that stadium is one night that adele won't play is one night that taylor swift won't play and it's not like those people are going out of the zeitgeist or anything like that but it does mean that like you know that space is less available and the less you are on the tip top of what is the new and current thing, just like the less relevant you are, sadly. And so as you lose relevance, there's just less gigs you get booked for because there's other artists that they want to put on that Friday or Thursday night or whatever. And so that just means less gigs in general, less money, and it becomes less of a thing that can sustain your life, no matter how you know chill of a life you may have. Yeah. So it's a young person's game, essentially. It's, it's, a, it's a young person's game. Unless you get to that pinnacle, unless you become one of those Skrillexes where people are like, no, Skrillex is my whole life. I got Skrillex tattooed on my butt. Like, yeah. nah. Until, until you get to that or point. Or Daft, Daft Punk or something. Oh, man, RIP. <laughs> Love Daft Punk. Yeah. They're not okay, actually so... dead. In case anybody's worried, they're not actually dead. Just the, <laughs> yeah. the, the Daft Punk era is over. The guys have decided to stop producing music. Anyway, okay, they're all The, alive, the music lives on forever. The music lives on. Okay, so podcasting, you've got um, all this experience, uh, I guess, with the uh, musical side, which is intricate, and there's layers, and there's tone, and there's all these things to think about, and then it comes down to just do these people's voices sound good, or maybe you're also doing like music and jingles and uh, and little stingers and that kind of thing too, but uh, what was it about podcasting that, because it's such a uh, a simpler thing than music that still had you interested and excited to, to go to work to do sure, that every day? Yeah. Um, I love stories. I love storytelling. Um, my father is, he's a nonprofit consultant. He helps other nonprofit organizations uh, better relay what it is that they do by through the act of storytelling, through the act of like, what is the story of what your company or what your nonprofit does? Because it's very Mm -hmm. easy to say like, well, in 2017, we had, you know, X number of applicants and X percent of them, you know, succeeded in doing whatever it is that our company does. It's like, those numbers are great, but it's not the story of what you do. Tell me the story of this person and their journey through your program that got you to where you are. And I think podcasting is the medium for those stories. Podcasting Mm. is the medium where people, you know, who don't usually have that platform or don't have that voice get to tell their stories. And there are so many out there. There There's so many different people and stories and and things to learn um, that I just love that process. I love listening to people talk. I love hearing their stories and being a pot, being in podcasting is just a, it's a, a font of those interactions and, 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 you know, and uh, those kinds of stories and that interaction. So I, I, I love it. I love hearing what other people are about. That's cool. That's really cool. That resonates with me, definitely. Like, Abs- I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's what you're doing. This is, I don't know if I, I mentioned it, but this is like episode 150 of this podcast. I heard about that. Congratulations. Um, yeah. So I guess, was it your experience in musical production that allowed you to to, to walk into a position like that and and 
at such a you know like there's not many jobs in podcasting i'll say like right you're you're fortunate to, to have landed at one of the places that pays people to, very to work in podcasting because yeah. most of us are just doing this and trying to hustle a few bucks together through ko-fi or patreon or mm-hmm. um you know maybe picking up a, a sponsorship here and there right well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I am extremely lucky to have, you know, gotten into the position I was. I, I know that part of it is because the network was expanding rapidly. There were so many shows that were being added to the How Stuff Works network, especially when they added the L.A. department. Like, you know, shows like um, Stuff You Should Know were the backbone of How Stuff Works, Movie Crush, and all these other podcasts that were based out of Atlanta and were kind of more information-based. And then once uh, Jack O'Brien, formerly uh, the editor-in-chief at the Cracked, uh, Cracked website and host of the Cracked podcast, left to start the comedy division at How Stuff Works here in LA, it opened up like a whole new slate of shows that were coming down the pipeline. And I, as an editor, or I just as a person who is used to chopping audio, knew that my skills could be used to efficiently and effectively chop audio. That's what I was at first. I was just an editor. I was, you know, editing simply the Daily Zeitgeist, cutting us, cutting ums, and any other, you know, yeah. re-up stutters, anything that people were, you know, messing up as they were talking to making things sound tight and smooth. That was really how I got into the game. And it was my efficiency with the, with the uh, you know, with the cutting tools that, you know, got me the job more than anything but it was my ambition to learn and to listen and to help other people and facilitate their podcasts that i think Mm. has kept me there okay so iHeartRadio, really big name in podcasting obviously it's one of those few networks that i mentioned before that Mm -hmm. seems to have made you know some kind of profit from this little thing called podcasting um how have you kind of worked your way into there and and tell us a a bit about what your uh day-to-day or week-to-week workload looks like because most people probably just hear you on fake doctors and they probably don't get that full picture of, of what it involves no problem um, well, first, first of all, you know, I joined How Stuff Works, and then How Stuff Works was acquired by iHeartMedia in 2018. So it was simply like a big old fish came and swallowed our smaller fish, and now iHeart was the biggest podcast network in in the country. Uh, simply by the acquisition of our numbers and their numbers, they're like, "Yep, we're number one." Bingo, bango, and we we're like, "Okay, I mean, I guess that's how that works." Um, but in terms of my day to day, you know, when I was working on the daily zeitgeist, which I no longer work on because I'm now working on a new slate of shows with Robert Evans. But during the, the days of the daily zeitgeist, that was a, a four or five hour day in its own way of recording the show, uh, two parts of it. There's the daily zeitgeist and the trending zeitgeist, which is a short 15 minute show that gets released in the same day. Uh, that was a, an hour and a half recording for the Daily Zeitgeist, a 20 to 30 minute recording for Trending Zeitgeist, and then editing both of those within the same day to release Trending Zeitgeist as soon as possible, and then the actual Daily Zeitgeist releasing the next morning. Um, so that was just one show. I've also worked on almost every show that has come out of the LA office, whether that be Behind the Bastards, the Bechdel cast. Um, ethnically ambiguous culture kings when they were still on our network so many shows on our network that i have touched up in some way during their time i was briefly a producer on nerdificent which is another podcast out of our network where i was producing and editing that show that involved research where i would you know help research the topics that we were going to discuss on the show come up with outlines for how we were going to discuss them actually recording the show editing it down and then posting it every week um 
when it comes to Fake Doctors Real Friends, I'm the engineer, editor, and, you know, as you hear sometimes, sometimes co-host of the show. Um, and that involves making sure everybody's recording is going smoothly, facilitating the recording of guests, making sure that they know how their equipment equipment works. Mm-hmm. And if you're familiar with the great Sarah Chalk, sometimes those conversations <laughs> actually make it into the podcast because they're so hilarious. But, um, yeah, you know, facilitating those kinds of things and then editing that show. And as some people may hear, that show is an incredibly tight turnaround. We record on Sundays to release on Tuesdays. So when we're done recording on Sundays, I'm compiling the data, doing my own Twitch stream Sunday night, editing Monday morning, getting notes back from Zach and Donald, cleaning the show up, and then posting it that evening for a release on Tuesday. And that's not including any other show that I'm working on, whether it be editing ads or working on Robert's new project after the revolution. Tuesdays are my worst year ever day because worst year ever records on Tuesday to release Wednesday. Lots of single day turnarounds for a lot of these podcasts because they want to be as contemporary as possible. So there's a lot of, you know, long days and very tight turnarounds. So, you know, these times, like I said, at these, you know, unfortunately, a little behind the scenes picture for everybody who's listening, we had to rain check a day because work just came up in the time that we were going to record. And I immediately had to switch gears into working on another show to meet a very tight deadline. So that is that is the day. It's 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 working efficiently to meet tight deadlines. Sure. So I'm very head in the scrubs game and mm. the fake doctors real friends podcast. So yeah. I might be I might be biased, but is that the biggest uh, production that you've worked on in your time in podcasting? Um, yeah, I would say so. You know, it's it, it's an incredibly popular podcast. I'm extremely lucky to be a part of it. Then and the community around it has been so warm and welcoming. Like I absolutely love the Scrubs community. They're so sweet and kind and it's and it's, you know, I think it's from the show itself. The show just exudes so much kindness and 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 the advantages of being kind and getting to know the people around you and those personal connections that I think the crowd that it welcomes and the fan base that it that it that it, you know, fosters feels that same way. And so I'm honored to be a part of it, but yeah, I would say it's definitely the biggest production that we've worked on. Mm. And there's, and there's definitely a lot more pressure to deliver something really solid. And so anytime there's anything wrong with it, I'm stressing out being like, I just want to get rid of that friggin' high pitched wine in the back of the thing, but it's the recording and there's nothing I could do about it. <laughs> so yeah. Very good. Yeah. It's good to know that, uh, the, the same things that ail me, ail you too. Oh. <laughs> and, and 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 just know that there's times when you can do as much as you possibly can to avoid it, but it's it's still going to be there. And it's like you did everything you could, and this is all you can do at this point. Yeah, yeah. I think people are more forgiving than than the editors in a lot of a lot of cases. So that's the, I, that's you the know thing. <laughs> I think so too. But it's it, it's 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 those moments where people tweet at you like, "Hey, did you guys know that there's like a high pitched whine in the background?" I want to be like, "Do you think that I don't hear literally every single sound and every single thing that goes wrong? It is plaguing me. Everything that yeah. goes wrong with every episode, and I assure you that I hear it." <laughs> <laughs> that's good to know. I'll yeah. um, say I'll save those tweets for, oh, for someone else. <laughs> um, but uh, when a show like that comes along, it's obviously attached to these huge stars in Zach Braff and Donald Faison. Sure. Is there like a um, uh, <laughs> a scramble between people that, that you work with to get onto that show? Or, you know, do you have to pitch yourself? Or is it just like, hey, Daniel, you're doing this show because you've got um, a free Tuesday? Right, exactly. So it's funny. <laughs> you know, it really depends on, I would say, the size of the office. I know that in uh, Atlanta, for example. So... I Heart, the iHeart Podcast Division, or formerly How Stuff Works, is based in three places around this around the country. There's an office in Los Angeles, an office in New York, and the main office in Atlanta, which houses most of our staff. The LA office is about ten people. 
And in terms of like actual like full-time editors, there are two. So when it came down to, you know, who can engineer and edit this show, literally it was, Daniel, are you free on Tuesday? Because we need you to facilitate this podcast. And I'm like, hell yeah, man. Yeah. Scrubs guys. I love that show for sure. I'm, I'm definitely available. Let's do it. And it was, <laughs> and it was because we run such a tight ship at the LA office that, you know, I was, I was the one that was around and I am the, you know, I'm now like the main engineer for the office at the time, you know, shout out to my boss, Nick, who, who showed me all the ropes and who taught me everything I know. Mm -hmm. But now he has moved on to, you know, working in different, different parts of the network as a whole. And now that is more my responsibility to be the head engineer for the office. And so anytime there's a new podcast that's happening at the office, I'm the one that has to make sure that it's going smoothly off the bat. And, um, when it came to Zach and Donald, they were like, are you going to be, can you be here every episode to make sure this sounds good? And I'm just like, I mean, yeah, I, I certainly can be. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Whatever you need, guys. Yeah, for sure. And so, and here I am. Very cool. And yeah. so, you know, you mentioned being a fan of Scrubs. And oh, yeah. I have to say, like, it's been amongst my, you know, it's so hard to pick, like, a favorite show. But it's one sure. of those shows that I've rewatched probably more than anything. Nice. You know, even even Seinfeld and, you know, The Office and, and all that. So, uh, for, for you to get a chance to be there, hear those conversations and even just to get to know, let alone, I guess, meet and sorry, let me say that again, just sure. to meet, let alone get to know Zach and Donald so well, mm -hmm. what's that experience been like and being kind of part of this whirlwind of, um, of a podcast? I mean, there's definitely a surreal element to it whenever I look back or when I talk to other friends about it. And, and it, you know, I still get the occasional like, what's it like just like getting to talk to them? And, you know. <laughs> I, I appreciate all those moments and I appreciate so much being on the show with them. And then there's also a familiarity with like, they're my coworkers, you know, we work, we work together, you know, two, sometimes just once a week, but twice a week. And, you know, it also comes with some of the frustrations where they're frustrated with me at something and I'm frustrated with them about not delivering <laughs> that damn audio. Um, but it's, it's a blessing and, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful to have been uh, welcomed into their life as I have, uh, you know, I think they're both very kind at heart and the way that they have welcomed Joel and I into their circle of, of friends has been heartwarming. And, um, I know high school me would be freaking, freaking the fuck out for lack of a better term <laughs> over the fact that I'm like, yeah, I'm talking to them every, uh, every couple of days. Like, what? Yeah. What? And it must have done a lot for your profile as well. Like I know oh. you're, you know, obviously not doing the DJing the way you were before, but you're sure. on Twitch, you're doing D&D &D and all these mm -hmm. things. And I'm sure yeah. that, you know, just your Twitter followers, for example, would have had a pretty decent bump as well. Oh, it was, I would say, I mean, just if I'm being completely honest, it was about a tenfold bump from, you know, I now have like 20,000 followers on Twitter when right before the podcast started, it was closer to two. And, you know, that, that comes with its own kind of like, oh, shit, there's way more people paying attention to the shit I tweet now. I really have to, like, keep a lid on all these dumbass things I say. <laughs> but um, no, but it's uh, I mean, yeah, I'm 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 very thankful for it for the uh, for the bump. And, and again, I just go back to the fan base that has welcomed me with with open arms. They're all really nice people. And uh, I appreciate that that is the fan base that the, that they have that they have garnered and fostered and uh, happy to be a part of that. As the show kicked off, I kind of couldn't believe it was happening because it's something that I, will, I never realized I wanted, but yeah. it's like the perfect thing for a Scrubs fan. Yeah. But th there was this sense, like I remember texting my brother and being like, oh, they won't like they won't go more than like one or two seasons of, <laughs> of, of, of like of the recaps. Like right. they'll just like because you know a lot of celebrities will start a podcast and 
it's never it, the, the weekly consistency never stuck around at least right. before the pandemic like now right. every celebrity has a podcast you know rob lowe's got a podcast and yeah. you know the, the office ladies and every every man and his dog's podcasting sure. but up to up to that point it was like they kind of did it in between like big movies or big tv projects and exactly. i just felt like this isn't gonna last it's too good to last but it, it's right. it looks like they don't have any intention of stopping till they finish even now that they're shooting films again and yeah. they're talking about what are we going to do when we get through all the scrubs episodes and yeah, it's exactly. like wow they're really committed to this and that's exciting to me are you surprised at um how well like they have committed to the show um i would say i think surprise is a word for it i'm more um uh what's the word i guess i would say i'm thoroughly pleased uh because <laughs> You know, I feel the exact same way. You never expect, I never expect any of this to last, to be honest with you. Um, I'm, I'm ready at any moment for the whole world to collapse on itself. But that said, like, <laughs> I, um, I, I think it's awesome that they have taken to the medium so nicely. They're getting better at it. They're fully, you know, there's the fact that Zach is obsessed with the soundboard, that the fact that Donald yes. wants to do these rap recaps and they take to the medium nicely. They don't treat it like, it's different. And they're like, look, this is a conversation. You don't edit it because I don't know what any of that means. Like they're very keenly aware of what goes into podcasting Mm -hmm. and what can make a podcast great. And so I love that they are, you know, actively like learning and, and, and taking to the medium in a way that they want to empower the podcast and make it more fun and different and, you know, explore it creatively. And, um, I think that's where their, you know, minds really show in the way that they're like, Ooh, actually let's do that. Let's add this. Let's, let's do this thing. Let's add another theme song from Travi Wavy, the guy who did the Joel's Monique's down to get down theme song. Like all of that stuff is me seeing the wheel spinning on these guys loving the format of podcasting. And that really warms my heart. And, and I wish that on every podcaster, I hope that you see the format and really like it and go, what more can we do? And, uh, they're definitely doing that. Awesome, yeah. And did it start before the pandemic kicked in and the lockdown, or was it a COVID-inspired thing? The first recording was going to be in studio in early March, and that's when. And we basically we went into lockdown on the thirteenth, I believe, of March twenty twenty, mm-hmm. and their recording was going to be on the seventeenth or the eighteenth, I think. Wow. And they said, is there any way that we can do this from home? We don't really feel comfortable like coming into a studio, even with any measures that you guys could take. And we were like, yeah, we'll, we'll bring you equipment. No problem. Whatever we can do to like make this easier for you guys. And they were very thankful for that. And, you know, Donald's been in his closet ever since. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. So that's another thing I wanted to, to touch on, like the sure. experience of an editor slash producer slash sound engineer mm-hmm. has been completely different for the past year or so. Um, yeah. You've gone from sitting in a room, mixing levels to, I don't know, like what, what does it involve now? Is it just making sure that people understand how Audacity or, or Audition or whatever they're using works and right. that their headphones aren't bleeding audio through and all of that, all of these things? Yeah, literally all of that. All of that is an integral part of like what my job is and just like explaining to people I, I i mean i'm now like i could tell you with my eyes closed i mean with my eyes closed but i could tell you on the other side of the screen like okay so you're opening QuickTime. okay go to file go to this go to blah 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 yeah. oh you're doing audacity okay go to this go to this go to this <laughs> it's just like all of that is now built into the back of my brain of like this is what you have to do to get your recording going do you, is there any way you can go into a smaller room do you have headphones airpods are fine yeah. 
Do you have over-ear headphones? Yes, you do need headphones. No, you can't record like that, blah, blah, blah. Do you have a phone? Do you have a voice memo? Great. If you have a voice memo, please put it down facing you no more than like a foot away from your face. That's great. Perfect. Thank you. All of that stuff is just like built into my head now of like how we communicate with people. And so, you know, I, I think I said earlier, I may, it may have been off uh, before we started, but, you know, I had one of my first recordings back in the studio today and just being able to set that up and then say like, yeah, you're good to go. And these two people sat down and just started talking. I was like, oh my God, I miss this so much. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. And, and I guess when you're having, whether it's like John C. McGinley or like, mm. I don't know, who else has been on the podcast? Um, I mean, everybody, Judy Reyes, Sarah Chalk. Yeah, like these big people. Like, mm-hmm. has, Was Brendan Fraser on there? Oh, yeah, Brendan yeah, Fraser. That's right. Oh, yeah, 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 he was on. Was, oh, my God. It was Ryan Reynolds that, that passed. But anyway, yes. you have these... <laughs> You have these big people on there and sure. like from, from my experiences with having guests, when they show up and they're like, oh, do I need to record something? Like, it's like, okay, so we're starting at like a baseline yeah. zero, <laughs> Z- literal um, zero. And it's like, just, yeah, like you said, have you got an iPhone? Sweet. Yep. Let, let, let's hit record on that and that'll do. <laughs> yep. Exactly. <laughs> like the, the, the more famous someone is, the less good their sound quality is pretty much (laughs) and sometimes without naming any names because i don't want to get in trouble and sometimes even the people you think would have the most professional setup don't even know how to use it and you have to walk them through literally what is sitting in front of them i'm like okay turn the preamp on (laughs) it's like oh boy i didn't know we had to do this part but yeah it happens with everybody that's the uh the beauty of uh podcasting remotely i guess amen to that so there's a few questions that I ask everyone on sure, this show. Please. I'm excited. What's the hardest thing about getting to the to where you are now, to the point that you're at? You know, you've got a career in podcasting, you've had a career in music, mm. and I'm sure, you know, in one way or another, each thing has led to the next point in your life. Absolutely. Um, I think it's figuring out how to use all of your talents at once. Um, it's figuring out a way to make everything that you do part of everything that you do or part of what you do even if it's the stuff that's just like your hobby, like, you know, again, without revealing too much, the fact that I love video games and I participate in that world so much is now leaking into my job at iHeart and is empowering my abilities and what I do. Stuff like that and, and you know, using everything that you have to help whatever you're doing and figuring out how to do that and figuring out how to make yourself an asset to as many people as possible is it's hard work, but it's also, it pays incredible dividends when you realize that you can be a part of so many bigger things out of what you're doing. Hmm. Very cool. And, um, like even just within the, um, the podcasting itself, like at a more of a micro level, what's been the hardest part of, I guess, the past 12 months and, and joining the, the guys over at, at uh, fake doctors getting people to record in a room that doesn't echo. (laughs) Even my, even myself now, you know, me and my wonderful uh, girlfriend, Stephanie, we just moved in together and this is my office where it's Mm -hmm. four hard walls all around me. And just like putting pictures up, putting that bookcase there, like all of these little things to make the space a little bit more tight, uh, including talking more softly, but turning my input volume up so that, you know, Mm -hmm. I have a more controlled, uh, you know, slightly quieter space. Those kinds of adjustments on my own have been, have been tough things to do. Um, when I can't, you know, I don't have a closet to record in. Everything's too small. Like I can't fit my whole setup in there. So, um, yeah, the, all of that stuff is that in terms of just the, the raw doing it, that is the hardest thing. Okay. And what would be your advice to anyone that wants to get to where you are? Like for me, you know, I'm someone that loves podcasting myself. Yeah. So I'm interested, like, there, you know, as mentioned, there aren't a lot of 
commercial opportunities for podcasters, sure. especially like maybe in Australia, it's even more limited than it is for you. But if people wanted to get a job in podcasting, yeah. whether it's behind the scenes, whether it's on mic, what's your advice to those people? Because like there's so much competition, right? Sure, of course. I think to a great extent, you're doing it already. I think what you know with the putting in work pod, like you are, you are creating an asset for people who want to learn more about this you are making yourself a resource of, of great information, great podcasts, great people. And by producing a great show, you are showing your skills not only as an interviewer, but as a producer, as an engineer, as an editor. Like every all of the work you put into podcasts shows multiple threats of what you can do for a not just podcasting network, but like a radio, a radio station, um, a company that wants to get into audio in any way, shape, mm-hmm. or form, movies, television. Like all of these things have pieces of each other within them and show your capabilities uh, in in so many different areas can make you a, a very attractive candidate for so many, so many different companies. Yeah, sure. I guess it's about looking at how your skills apply to other things and like broadening your, uh, your window a little Amen. with that. There was, if I may briefly tell like a very, just a very short story, one of yeah, the guests of that we had on the podcast was someone who... Um, and I'm going to get this wrong and I apologize, but one of our guests on the podcast worked in finance, but he really wanted to work in philanthropy specifically with, I believe it was children with cancer. And he was like, I don't know how to get into that world because I just want to be able to tell my story and, and help people tell their stories. But it's like, not what I do at all. I'm a finance person. And my advice to him was a lot of these philanthropic organizations and, and and just like you know nonprofits they don't have a money person like you yeah, who I knows the best way to hand, yeah who knows the best way to handle this stuff use your skills and and then take your story with you cuz that story is crucial to crucial to what the the organization is about but your skills are crucial to the organization's success so you know seeing yourself as an asset in so many areas regardless of what the passion side of it is versus the work side know that all of what you offer is an asset to the things that you want to work with there you go just fixed everybody's life (laughs) that's a free one yeah you didn't have to get on scrubs podcast for that one exactly yeah totally um i I mean i have to say like i I work in healthcare in communications and and marketing and it's interesting because Scrubs was a was definitely an influence for me to have any kind of interest in the healthcare sure. world. So in that aspect, I kind of have applied my you know my background as a journalist into working in that industry. So yeah, it, it's cool when you can kind of backtrack and see the dots connect in that yeah. way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. So the last question before yes. I just throw some some other random stuff out there is sure. uh, if you could do anything and knew that you wouldn't fail, what would you do? If I could do anything and knew that I wouldn't fail, what would I do? Great question, first of all. Um, I would <laughs> I would be a professional rollerblader again. And I say again like I used to be a okay. professional rollerblader. Yeah. But when I was a kid, I used to rollerblade all the time. And I see rollerblading kind of eking its way back into the into the, you know, public eye in the way that like everybody's going out there and roller skating again, how like, you know, regular roller skates and, and like um skate like uh, whatchamacallit skate rinks are now back because of dancing and TikTok and all that stuff. And I love, love rollerblading so much. And it's not something that was ever like it was always something that was just a passion and fun to do and and a um and just a hobby of mine. But if I knew that I could rollerblade professionally and not fail at it. God damn, I'd love to be out there on the skates again. That would be great. <laughs> That's cool. It's yeah. such a um 
rollerblading is such a thing that brings you back to a particular moment in uh, oh, yes. cult culture. Oh, yes. I guess the same way that roller skates tend to take people back to, I guess, the 80s. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think, you know, we've got this big 80s wave of nostalgia with Stranger Things style productions mm. and it's only a matter of time between what's well, happening already to a smaller extent but the 90s are going to be you know the 90s will be coming back and oh, they're then rip roller roaring back rollerblading will be cool again i, I remember seeing Nailed someone it. rollerblade like at at the foreshore where i live mm-hmm. a few years ago and i was completely baffled i was like <laughs> i just i was like i did a double take like that person's on rollerblades i don't even know if you can buy them anymore exactly <laughs> it definitely feels like that but you know what? We're, we're we're out there and we're still uh, we're still rolling on four wheels. <laughs> Do you wear the knee pads or are you oh, too cool? You got to. No, no, no. You got yeah. to. I give. I'll tell you what. There was definitely a time when I was a kid where I was quote unquote too cool. But nowadays, you won't be catching me without you know breaking an elbow or some shit like that. I'll be padded up all day. I got my helmet wrist, on and everything. The wrist guards. Got to have wrist guards. I got to protect these hands. These things gotta, are too. These things are too precious. I got to type that's, shit. That's the livelihood. <laughs> exactly. This is my mouse hand. I got to. I got to. I got to shoot yeah. people. <laughs> In video and, uh, games, people. In video games, sorry. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> I think it's. Uh, I think there's potential there. You've got a bit of a following now. You could potentially get some viral rollerblading videos out there. Maybe we'll show see. everyone, like, you yeah. know, here's some beginner tricks. Oh man, if I get back out there again, I'll consider it. It's you know, it's funny. It's one of those things where it's like I consider reinvesting back into rollerblading, but I need to like borrow a friend's rollerblades first because like a good pair okay. of rollerblades is like three hundred, four hundred dollars, and it's like I could you know I'm I'm growing up and saving money now, and it's like yes, do I have three hundred dollars I could spend right now? Yes, I certainly could if I wanted to, but it's like I would rather save that money and decide I really love this thing again before I <laughs> yeah. drop the cashola to get back out of my skates again and maybe maybe break my wrist or something. <laughs> I'm sure there will be some touristy place that will rent out rollerblades God, along Venice that. Beach or something. <laughs> they 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 got to, but I'll, I'll I'll you know what when I figure that out, I'll be sure to send you the video. Yeah, that might be a business idea for someone yeah, out there. Exactly. So I said that was the last question, but I wanted to give you a chance to talk about your Twitch and the D and D because I've noticed that a bit sure. lately, and it looks Thanks. like you're having some fun over there. So what's what's happening on it. Twitch? Uh, Wednesdays and Sundays and uh, soon to be adding Fridays to the mix I stream on Twitch at twitch.tv slash DJ underscore Daniel same as my Twitter handle and all that um, and I love it. You know, I, I love video games. I love performing. I love um, the community that gets built around Twitch. I mean, like similar to the fan base that I think Scrubs has of like, you know, just positivity and nice people. I like to garner a similar kind of like group of people to just gather around and play games and talk shit and have fun. And um, having Twitch as that kind of outlet is great. And um, D&D is something that I played since high school and having a group of friends from college who want to get into it again, namely my friend Scott, who is our dungeon master, who has been like, we're getting everybody in, we're doing a campaign together, let's do it. And turning that into a Wednesday weekly thing for the past like year now has been wow. incredible. It's really, it's really been yeah. a lot of fun and our campaign is going swimmingly. So uh, it's, it's, it's really great. And I encourage anybody who is curious about Twitch or curious about video games in general to come check it out. Cause it's a lot of fun and we just, you know, hang out and talk stuff. Very cool. Is there any nice. DJing happening over there as well? Sometimes, yes. Actually, I, I, I got. I have a. I have a DJ controller right over right over here that I'm looking at. I have been. Um, I've only done one DJ stream so far, mostly because I mean, I shouldn't say. Uh, <laughs> I was say because I'm jealous of my friends and how much better they are at it. But like, <laughs> there are so many really, really, really quality DJ streams right now that I don't want to like 
throw myself in there and be like, yeah, I'm doing like putting in like half the work that someone like a four color Zach is doing, who is a, a good friend of mine and literally one of the best DJs in the world. And someone I just like look up to constantly. I'm just like, just go watch Zach. He's going to do a better job than I would anyway. But mm. it is something that I love to do and, and I have fun doing. So there is the occasional DJ stream, but uh, mostly uh, D&D on Wednesdays and then Rocket League tournaments, which is my other passion that I love so much. And so um, that's where you can catch me most of the time. Awesome. Well, thanks, Daniel, for jumping on. It's been really cool to hear the story and appreciate your time. John, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And if, if iHeart ever gets like an Australian office, you'll have to let me know so I can uh, wander down there. <laughs> oh, I'll definitely let you know. Oh, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be hollering at you immediately. Thanks for listening and thanks to Audio Technica. If you want to catch Daniel on Twitter, you can get him at DJ underscore Daniel. You can support this show by leaving a five-star rating and review in your podcast service of choice, but especially Apple Podcasts and Podchaser. If you want to get behind the 8-Bit family, head over to our Ko-fi page at ko-fi.com slash weare8bit. That's A-T-E-B-I-T. A few dollars a month will get you plenty of goodies, so go check out what's on offer there. You can catch me on the social medias at Jono himself. And until next episode, keep putting in work.